Well, this week I had an opportunity on Thursday that I don't always get, but on, uh, yeah, Thursday after work, I went down over to the Riverway Golf Course, which is just down uh, Marine Drive here, and I decided, you know, I'm done work, I'm going to go down to the golf course, and it was sunny, it had been sunny for a couple of days, it was kind of dry, so I thought, I'm going to go down there and hit some golf balls and play a few holes of golf if I can, and so I had the opportunity to go and do that, and it was a, it was a nice day. Usually when I just go by myself, I just show up and I say, hey, I'm here, I'm on my own. I don't say I'm single because I'm married, but I say I'm here, I'm, a, I'm a, a, an individual player, and if they can get me on, that would be great. And so they usually look at the schedule, and okay. So in about half an hour, there was a group that only had three guys, and they paired me up with these three um, older guys. And I say older because they're older than me, and I just, they're older guys. And, and as we were talking, they said, this is our first time out playing golf for the year. And I was like, great, that's really good. And it's good for me because that means when I'm trying to find my ball, they're also trying to find their ball. So we're not, you know, we're not holding everybody back back because we're just kind of getting started. And so sure enough, we get up there. First two guys hit it in the trees, which was great. And I just crushed it. I hit a great drive and I thought, okay, they're going to think I'm pretty good. That was the only good drive I had all day. Um, but it started out and they were all like, oh man, we're, we're, we're going to hold you back. We're going to hold you back. No. But uh, I had a great time. And, and like I always do, I try to, you know, talk with people and, and connect with those I'm playing golf with. Golf is a very social sport and especially you hit the ball, then you walk a long way and then you search for your ball. And so there's a lot of time just to connect. And, and it was interesting. These three older guys, they all knew each other. They had all worked together for years. And from my judgment, they hadn't actually seen each other in quite a while. This is their first time playing. They used to play. Uh, they do play all the time during the spring and summer. But this is their first time out. So they hadn't connected. And so uh, while I was there, I noticed, and I just sort of sensed that there was something they really wanted to talk about with each other. But because I was there, they didn't talk about it publicly. Maybe you found yourself in a situation like that where you're maybe part of a group and you're like, okay, I feel like they all want to talk, but I feel like I'm hindering their conversation. And there was a few times where they would kind of stand off to the side and they would talk kind of quietly to each other. And, and I, you know, obviously I wasn't trying to listen or anything, but I thought, man, it seems like they're wanting to connect a little bit outside of me. And, and uh, I didn't really know what was going on. I just, just sort of sensed that something was happening. And so during one of, I think, uh, near the end, I only played nine holes, and it was kind of near the end there. We're getting ready to go, and, and I was walking with one of the other guys, and he had asked me a question, and I had asked him a question, and he just said under his breath as we were walking up to the next hole uh, to tee off, one of the other guys was up ahead. He said, hey, that guy, Darren, he was the guy that he was with, he says he's fighting, and he said, he said the big C word is what he said. He's right now, he's really battling cancer right now. And at that moment, I knew, I knew what it was. This group of friends that have spent so much time, they worked together for 20 plus years, they golfed all of the time together. The first time that they're back and one of their friends is battling cancer. And I discovered at that point and, and it sort of hit me and, and I just sensed that, okay, that's, that's what they're talking about. That's what they want to connect. They want to ask him how he's doing, but at the same time, they try to keep it light. You know, they, I, I noticed that that man in particular got a lot of congratulations for every hit he got. You know, that was pretty good. They're like, all right, great job, you know, and they were trying to encourage him. And yet at the same time, there was this sort of overriding difficulty, this overriding challenge that he was going through that they maybe wanted to talk about, but it was just sort of hanging in the air over the day. Maybe you found yourself in a situation like that before where you've uh, been a part of uh, maybe a relationship or there's a big thing that you know you need to address with a group of people or with a friend or with a family member. And while you're there with them, you're like, I know we need to talk about this. And it's a hard thing to talk about. Uh, and it just sort of hangs over the conversation. 
In marriage, many of you would understand what I mean when I say sometimes in marriage, there's things you need to talk about. Sometimes there's things you need to address, but it's difficult to talk about. It's hard to deal with. And so you know what you do? Often you put it off, you put it off, but then you still, it's still, there's this sense that we need to talk about this. Now, Tim's only been married a couple of months, so we won't pick on him and ask him if that's the truth. But it's true in any relationship that sometimes there's things you just got to deal with and it's just sort of hanging over the conversation and you haven't quite talked about it yet. I think if you can understand that feeling this morning, and I think most of you do, you know what it's like to be in that kind of environment I believe that you then fully understand and maybe understand the Apostle Peter a little bit better and how he would have felt as he was writing this letter to these scattered strangers and pilgrims that were people that had been displaced from their homes, that were under persecution and facing persecution. I think if you know that feeling of something that needs to be discussed, you would understand Peter as he's been writing this book because up until this point where we are today, Peter has intimated that there's persecution coming. There's been hints of the idea that persecution is going to happen to them. We saw that in some of the earlier chapters, but he's never actually directly addressed the fact and just put it out there in the open that persecution is coming. And think about Peter as he's sitting there writing. He sees and knows the, uh, the political climate. He knows that there's been a change in leadership in the Roman Empire. He knows that the new Roman emperor is not, uh, is not favorable towards Christians. He maybe himself had experienced a a little bit more of an escalation in attacks. He might have seen a little bit more persecution that was happening. He knew that it was coming to these individuals, and he hadn't quite talked about it yet, but now here he is starting to deal with it. Now, up until this point, he's talked about a lot of different things, hasn't he? He's talked about how uh, there's going to be some trials that will come. They'll be purified as gold in a fire. He's talked about, of course, uh, the um, security of the believer. He's talked about the joy of their salvation. He's done all of these building blocks of pathways to transformation. He's talked about the spiritual house that they're a part of. He's talked about their identity in Jesus Christ. He's encouraged them to pursue holiness. He's encouraged them to pursue a submissive lifestyle to uh, the, the authorities that are over them and also within the home. And yet in the back of his mind, Peter is always thinking as he's writing this letter, I need to talk about the persecution that is to come. I need to talk about the challenges that are going to come to these believers that I love so much, these people that he loved enough to take the time to write this and express this to them. And so as we come to verse number 13 in 1 Peter 3, we enter a new section of Peter's letters. There's actually four major divisions through the book And today we begin a new division of the book as he now begins to address how it is that a Christian who's scattered, that's far away from home, a Christian that is far away uh, from maybe other believers, how they can handle, how they can overcome, and how they can live through suffering and persecution. It's a discussion that's going to carry on all the way uh, to chapter 4 and verse number 19. And all the way throughout it, he gets very practical in his instruction on how we as Christians should respond in times of suffering and persecution. You know, the truth is about the Christian life, if you are a genuine believer in Jesus, if you are someone who's going to stand up for the truth and you're going to stand up for the Lord, you will more than likely, I would say uh, almost 100%, you are going to face some persecution. 
You are going to be ridiculed. You are going to be mocked for your stance. You're going to be maybe bypassed uh, even in your career and your job simply because you have an outspoken testimony for the Lord. You may even have to quit your job uh, in essence because of uh, maybe your stand for the Lord. But you might be uh, isolated. You might be cut off from family. You might be abused. You might be physically attacked. Some of you have even experienced that. Uh, You might be imprisoned. You might even be murdered and be a martyr because of your true, genuine faith. You know, church, this is our history as believers. And I want to tell you today that it's also our future. Our history as Bible believers has been one of persecution. And our future is also going to be that. In fact, right now, there are more people being martyred for their faith in 2022 than we've seen in past history. We just don't know about it. We, just, we, we, try, to, we try to pretend, don't we? We try to pretend that we live in a world that's just all lovey-dovey. We don't. We don't live in that kind of world. And there are Christians being attacked all around this world. Some really interesting websites, Voice of the Martyrs and things like that. You can go and look at it and you can read stories about people today who are giving up their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. But it's been our past and it is our future. This week I read a story about one person in the past by the name of Michael Sattler. And he was born in Germany around 1490. At an early age, he entered into a Benedictine monastery, and he pursued, of course, uh, the life of being a monk. Uh, During that time, he was enrolled in a local university, and he learned ancient Hebrew, and he learned um, uh, Greek as well, and he began to study the Bible in the original languages. Through his study, he came to know the Lord. And isn't that that so great that a person can just come to know God by reading the Bible? And that's what happened to him. Even though he was entrenched in this Roman Catholicism, he read the Word of God and realized that he needed to step outside of that. And so he began to study. He began to uh, have a real uh, dissatisfaction with the vices and the uh, hypocrisy of his fellow monks. And so he finally left the monastery and severed his ties with Rome. And guess what he did? He went and got married. I always find that happens when someone finds Christ. And they're in that kind of a, uh, uh, that type of lifestyle. They go out and they get married because that's biblical. <laughs> it was later on in the early 1500s that Ferdinand of Austria came into power and he announced a policy among his uh, people. And of course, we know that borders were changing so drastically during that time as there was constant war happening. But he distra- announced a policy of exterminating those who he felt were preaching heresy. And so uh, Sattler and his wife, they had to flee to Switzerland, and there he came under the instruction of a man named Rublin who taught him, and essentially he understood and began to learn uh, the uh, Anabaptist way, which is some of our forefathers uh, that we stand for, or that we are today. Soon he became a very prominent preacher in the Anabaptists, and God used him. He was a leader among them, and eventually he returned to Germany. And while he was preaching at a conference for specific Anabaptists, it was discovered by the authorities, and he was arrested along with the others there, and he was put on trial. During that trial, he stood with 14 others, and he acted as their spokesman. And the records of that trial state that the judges there laughed at what he had to say after he spoke up for Christ. After they consulted together the town clerk, the judges wouldn't even speak to him. The clerk came and he said to him, he said, oh, you infamous, desperate villain and monk. It's funny how he still tagged that on there to him. He says, you will have us, uh, you will engage us in discussion. He said this to him, the executioner will dispute with you and we think with certainty. Sattler exclaimed at that point, he said, let the will of God be done. His execution took place on May 25th, 
1527, and he began in the marketplace in a public square where they cut off a chunk of his tongue. That's the first thing that they did. After that, they began to pull pieces of his flesh from his body with red-hot tongs. And they would pull them from the fire and grab just chunks and pull off of his body. Still being able to speak, the record shows that he continued to pray for those who were his persecutors. In this illustration of this very moment, someone sketched from that time, after he was tied to a wooden ladder, they then tossed him into the fire that they had prepared. The record shows that all while he was being tortured and, 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 and uh, accused, really, even while being thrown into the fire, along the way he admonished the people, the judges, the mayor, and he encouraged them to repent and be converted. It's then that he prayed, Almighty God, thou art the way and the truth. Because I have not been shown to be an error, he said this, I will with thy help this day testify to the truth and seal it with my blood. Eight days later, after trying to convince his wife to recant, she was drowned by the same people and reunited in heaven with her husband. Now, if you look back in our history, there are hundreds and hundreds of examples that have been recorded for us, stories just like this of people who are willing to stand up for their faith, people who were persecuted and ultimately gave up their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. And while his testimony today may to us seem very extreme, I read that and I just can't even imagine being in that situation. The fact is, is that there have been many through the last 20 centuries who've paid a great price for doing right. <laughs> for following God, not for doing wrong things, and they paid for it with their lives. You say, well, why would a guy like Michael Sattler, why would he do this? Why would he go to the flames? Why would he give up his life? Why would he risk the life of his wife even? And it's because he believed what we're going to discover in our passage, and that is ultimately he believed that good would triumph over evil. Ultimately, he believed that our God is just, he is kind, he is fair, and he is worthy of giving up our lives if it means it is for the truth. And so while you and I may never be called to suffer in that manner, we may never experience that kind of persecution, the true believer of Jesus Christ who decides to follow him, who has been conformed into his image, you must be confronted at some point, and today is the day that we're going to be confronted with this question, how would you respond in the face of persecution like this? How would you respond when you are told it is your life or it is your faith? How would you respond to those questions. What actions would you take? Now, for Peter, who's writing to us, he didn't have to think about it very much because at this point, he had already suffered for the Lord. He'd been falsely accused. He'd been imprisoned a couple of times. He had been rescued. Remember the angel uh, that released him from prison? And he had gone through great suffering and difficulty as he took the gospel to uh, the Jews and then, of course, to the Gentiles. Jesus himself, in John chapter 21, had told Peter that you are going to die in the same way that I'm going to die, and your life and your death is going to give glory to God. So he already knew Knew that he was going to be martyred for his faith. Imagine if you knew what your death was going to be. And so as he's doing ministry every year, I am sure as he went day to day, he maybe had that in his mind that all, at some point here, it's going to end for me. At some point, they're going to, my number's going to be called. Jesus said that I'm going to, uh, and, and Jesus had predicted all of these other things that were going to happen, and I'm going to give my life up here at some point. And so he lived his life as a man on death row. He knew what was to come. And so when he wrote to the people here, he wasn't writing from ignorance. He was writing from experience. 
And now he writes to these that are facing imminent persecution, and he gives them some practical advice on how to face it without fear. And he does it from his own personal experience. Now, this advice that we're going to see today, actually today and next time that we're together in this passage, I want you to know that this is advice that can help us immensely as we answer this question in our own lives. How we would respond, how should we respond in the face of persecution? And I want you to know that it goes even deeper than that. This is not only today. I, I, want you, I don't want you to think like, okay, if I'm ever faced with the, the fire or my faith, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm talking about this, this goes even to your life right now. This connects in, into how we deal with just suffering in general, how we deal with the difficulties of living in this life. Nisi uh, did such a great job. I didn't even know what passage he was going to read for Scripture today, and it just goes really well. So thank you, Christian, for picking that. It just works all together. I've already said the way, the truth, the life, and he's already talked about suffering. So man, it just came together. Isn't that cool when that happens? <laughs> Pastors love to point that out. Have you ever noticed that? I didn't even know what song we were singing, and it goes just with my message. <laughs> how do we respond when life just doesn't go how we expect it to go? How do we respond in a financial crisis? How do we respond in relational distress? How do we just respond in the basic challenges of living in a broken and fallen and sinful world? Well, as we begin, I want to be reminded about what Peter said as we ended last week in 1 Peter 3, verse 12. He said this, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. I love this. And his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So the reminder that we see is that God sees what you are going through. This is a foundational principle we need to remember. God sees what you are going through. God is open and God is listening to the prayers of those who are pursuing righteousness. And we see here that he is against those that are doing evil. So foundational to what we're heading into, there's an understanding that we need to get in our hearts that we are seen, that we are heard, and ultimately we as believers are protected by an almighty God. And the ones that would come into our life to do us hurt, the ones that would persecute us, uh, the people that are involved in bringing evil to this world, they will one day be judged, not in a failed court of man, but they will be judged by the righteous judge himself, Jesus Christ. And so as believers, we do not live our life looking for retaliation and revenge. Instead, we simply live our lives trusting that God is going to be the one who will avenge the wrongs that his people have suffered. Now, this is the setup to the next two verses that we're going to cover as Peter begins to give us these practical, this practical advice to facing persecution. And point number one, and the only point we're going to cover today, he says this, I want you to face life boldly. Face life boldly. Look at verse number 13. He says, and who is he? So this is on the foundation, okay? So we know God is listening to our prayers, right? He, he's listening to the righteous. He sees what you're going through. He's going to avenge evil. And then he says this, but who is he? It's a question. Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that, which is good? Now, this is like a, a very calming verse when you, when you read it. And, and considering the subject matter that he's about to get into, Peter asks the question, who is going to harm you if you are a follower of that which is good? Now, interestingly enough about the word follower, it's the same word as zealot, zealous. You guys know what it means to be zealous about something, right? So he says, who is going to bring harm to the person who is zealous, who is pursuing after what is good? Now, who is good? Jesus, isn't he? 
Jesus is all things good. And so we could even see this in the sense that who is going to bring harm to the person who is pursuing after good? I think if we were to rephrase it, we might say if we follow after good in life, if we are honest, if we are fair uh, in our dealings with other people, we will usually not find ourselves in harm's way, nor will we find people trying to harm us. Now, you might be thinking, this is not a true statement, Pastor. I already know what you're thinking in your mind. This is not true. How is it that Peter could say this? Pastor, I've tried to live a good life. Some of you might be saying right now, I've tried my very best to live and do good and be good, but trouble always comes my way. Anybody feel that? I've felt that before. God, I'm trying. I'm trying to do my best. Why is it that there's still trouble coming my way? Here's the point that Peter is making. This is what we need to understand. He is making to us a general statement here. We would call it a general rule. And sometimes today we say generally speaking, right? And then we say something generally, meaning this is typically what's going to happen. And that's the question that he's asking to us. He says, remember, typically, generally speaking, if you live a life that is of integrity and purity, you will not suffer as much as those who live in the realm of evil. So let's put this in a practical example. For example, if I pay my debts on time, I won't have a creditor calling me every 10 minutes from a different number, so I can't keep blocking them. Oh, some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> we hit a point. If I pay my taxes, it's tax season, you have until May 2nd this year to do your taxes. If I pay my taxes on time and I'm honest in my dealings and reporting of my income, I won't have the CRA sending me those terrible letters that you get sometimes and you don't even want to open up. I get nervous even when they send me my, uh, my, my final statement, you know, at the end. They're like, oh, thank you for doing your taxes. You did a good job. They don't actually say that, but you know what I mean. You get that, that last final uh, statement. I forget what it's called, you know. I'm always like, oh, no. Okay, I'm good. Not because I'm doing bad things. Just so you know, okay. Just any letter from the CRA makes me nervous. I don't care. I don't care what it is. It, it could be a check, and I'm nervous about it, okay? <laughs> you know that. But if I pay my taxes on time, I'm, I'm okay. If I drive the speed limit, I won't get pulled over. If I try to help others and be kind to other people and be a friend, chances are when I need a friend and when I need help, there's going to be somebody who's going to be there for me. Again, I emphasize, this is usually what happens in life, especially in a world that typically repays evil for evil and good for good. Now, that's different than the Christian realm. We talked about last week, repaying good for evil. So we understand it in that context. And then think about it on the other side of it as well. If I live my life for myself, if I walk over people, if I uh, uh, push anyone who gets in my way, if I live a life of drunkenness and partying and sexual immorality, if I live a life of worldliness, if, if uh, if I pursue all of these things of this world, guess what? I'm going to inherit and experience the suffering of a life that is committed to that way. If I'm a narcissistic, controlling, dishonest, dominating person, I will have people who treat me in the same way that I treat them. If I'm, if I'm promiscuous and I live my life for the flesh, I'm going to experience some of the pain that comes along with that. If I live my life for substances, I'm going to discover the emptiness of life without those substances. And so we recognize that it goes both ways. That's the repercussions. That's what you're going to learn if you live in that way. And so Peter's making a general principle here. He's saying that if we are people, especially Christians who are pursuing after good, then the potential for harm is lessened. And remember, he's writing to people who are the minority, just like us today, who are the minority in their society. So he says, if you just live a good life, don't resist. Don't always be fighting. Don't always be attacking. Don't have a bad testimony. Be a pursue good. It is less likely that harm is going to come your way. It's lessened. But we also know that this isn't always how it goes. We also know that. 
I don't know if you guys remember our study in Psalm 73 on Wednesday nights where Asaph, who was the worship leader of Israel, complained about his life. This is somebody who pursued God. Remember what he said in verses 12 through 14. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. (laughs) It's the ungodly people who increase in riches. He says, I have cleansed my heart in vain. He's saying, why am I living as a, as a Christian? Why am I pursuing God? I've washed my hands in innocency for all the day long. I've been plagued and chastened every morning. And, and Asaph is saying, God, why is it that the, the, <laughs> the ungodly people, why does it seem that they are, man, they are doing so great? Now, this is a pretty accurate illustration of our world, don't you think? It's a, it's, sometimes I look at the news and I look at the people around me and I'm like, what in the world is happening? These are evil people, and it seems like they're just making more money, you know, and, and they're, they're doing all of this stuff. So when Peter says to us here, and I want us to understand this point, when Peter says to us, be zealous for good, that is a true and that is a good statement. Okay, he's not lying to us. He's telling the truth. But even Peter knew that that wasn't always going to be the case. And so now what he does is he pivots. So verse 13 says, do good, and it's, you know, probably going to be less of a problem in your life. And then he pivots to verse number 14. Notice this. He says, but, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Now this makes me upset. Does it make you upset when you see that? Suffering, happiness? Wait a minute. This doesn't seem to add up. (laughs) And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now this is a pivot for me. Quite a pivot. I'm using the word pivot. I think you understand. A 180 from... Be good, and you'll be okay to, yes, suffering's going to come, and you should be happy about the suffering that's coming. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit of a, of a change in from one line to another, from one sentence to another, he says. To me, it seems like Peter's a little bit tone deaf, don't you think? <laughs> like, Peter, don't you know who you're writing to? This is kind of uh, like, what are you doing, man? This seems tone deaf to us and maybe to the people he was writing to. But I want you to re- remind you again that at this point in his life and ministry, he had suffered more persecution than you and I have ever have and probably ever will. So it is with authority that he says here, if you uh, are going to be a believer who suffers persecution, you can be happy. And that word that is translated happy for us, it literally means blessed supremely. So what he's saying is that if you are a person then who is persecuted for righteousness sake, now understand that's the quantifier there. If you are persecuted for righteousness sake, this doesn't include, you know, that you didn't do your taxes and now, oh, I'm being persecuted by the CRA. No, no, no. If you're being persecuted for righteousness sake, then you are supremely blessed by God, which asks the question here, how is it possible that I would be supremely blessed by God if I'm being persecuted by other people, I'm being persecuted by this world? Now let's put it into perspective of the world here. When a person, whether you're saved or unsaved, when you put your focus into the world, now just stay with me on this for a moment, I'm gonna, I, wanna, I want us to really get this. If you put your focus completely on the world and your whole life is in the pursuit of the things of this world, you're just pursuing money, you're pursuing Instagram fame, you're pursuing, you know, whatever it may be. Think about it. You're pursuing the things of this world. You're pursuing control. You're pursuing uh, just whatever it is that you want to add into that. You do realize that that can be snatched from you overnight. Right? Right? You could be pursuing the peak of physical fitness. 
and you could have a heart attack the next day and not be able to work out for, for, for a year. You could be pursuing the riches of this world and make one mistake and lose everything. You could have been investing since the time you got out of high school and invested in stocks and made a lot of money in stocks, and in a bad weekend, you could lose it all. I've known people who have gone through that. A war might break out, and all of the stocks that you had in a certain Russian company are now not looking all that great. (laughs) That you were convinced this is the way, this is the future. And so for a person who's completely focused and invested in the world, you can suffer such a crushing blow that you're destroyed and left hopeless and helpless in life. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's actually different. Because if we're following the instructions of Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. And so if we live a life, rather than being focused on the things of this world that can be taken away from us at any moment, if we are focused upon Jesus Christ in the pursuit of his righteousness, no matter what it is that we might suffer in life, no matter what difficulty we may, we may go through, we still have our most cherished possession, and it's Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And if we have Jesus Christ, then we have everything. If we have Jesus Christ, then we have everything that comes alongside and comes with having Jesus Christ, and that includes all of his promises to his people. Promises like God will work all things out for good. Romans 8.28 tells us that. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Promises like God will provide all of the necessities of life. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Promises like God will give a special spirit of glory that will rest upon us. Uh, in, in 1 Peter 4, 14, we're going to read about this soon, where it says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Think about that. If you're reproached, then the spirit of God rests upon you. And on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Promises like God will give a great reward in heaven. Matthew 5, 11 says, Blessed are you, and men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, that were before you. Promises like the Lord will take us to heaven and preserve us through all eternity when the time comes to leave this earth. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18 tells us, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me until his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. That is just a few of the glorious and amazing promises that God has given to his people. And if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that can't be taken away from you. You can lose everything in this life and you still have Jesus and you still have his promises. There are so many promises in the word of God that John said later on in John chapter 21. He said, if we built bookshelves all over this entire world, we couldn't contain all of the books that would hold all the promises that God has given to us. He said it a little bit different, but you understand. (laughs) We could not write in this earth. There's not enough ink, as the song says, enough ink in the ocean to write all of the good things of God and all that he has done for us, his many promises. And so because of this truth, church, It is possible that when persecution, when difficulty, when hardships come to the life of the believer, we are still blessed. We are still blessed. But if and when persecution comes, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, I'll get it right there. He says, happy, blessed 
are ye. But notice what he continues there. He says, and be not afraid of their terror. This is interesting. Neither be troubled. He makes it, he points it to a group of people. Their terror. Do not be afraid. That's the idea of just being, in, it's the idea of, it is actually the idea of being in terror, of being like totally just terrified of the things that other people are afraid of. Now that really hits home because sometimes fear grows within us, not because it's something that we should be afraid of, but because somebody else is afraid of it. Or maybe everybody else is afraid of it. Now think about that for a moment. He says, if you have Christ, you have all of his promises. You don't need to be afraid of what other people might be afraid of, nor should you be troubled over the terror and, as he said earlier, the suffering that might come your way. No matter what the suffering is that we might go through, no matter what the fear is that is in our society, in our world, if we are Christ, then we don't have to fear. Because God's going to meet our needs. And if God promises us that he's going to meet our needs, then he's going to meet the need that you have in that moment of suffering and in that moment of difficulty. When the hardships come, when the persecution comes for your faith, God is not going to forsake you. Rather, what he's going to do is strengthen you to bear the persecution. Some of you have experienced that. You knew that trouble was coming. You knew that suffering was coming. You knew that persecution was coming. And God came alongside of you in a unique way and gave you the strength that you needed during that time. God often as well uses our suffering as a testimony for himself. And sometimes in the moment of persecution, in the moment of suffering, God touches the heart of the person who might be inflicting the suffering upon you because of your stand for Christ. God also can use your suffering to make you a far stronger believer. And we know that as a scriptural principle, God allows us to go through difficulty sometimes to strengthen us and build us up to point us to him and make us more secure in Jesus Christ. And so because of all of this that we've talked about this morning, because of all of this, we can face life with boldness. We can look at all of the things that surround us, all of the fears that are all, all, all around us at this point, the things that, that are in the news, the fears of this world, all of this. By the way, the fear of this world is a fear of no hope. We need to remember that. But we as believers can truly stand with Isaiah when God said to him in Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Church family, here's what we need to understand today. More than ever, we need to be bold Christians. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ who will go through life pursuing good, pursuing righteousness, but with the confidence and the goal of Jesus Christ and of him alone. The kind of confidence that overcomes the chaos and the difficulty of this world, the confidence that God is with us, that he is for you, and that you can be blessed even when things are not going as planned. And you can be the kind of person who can even buy this goofy mug, I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> I just thought of you guys when I saw that mug this week. <laughs> That's the kind of person, I, I love that phrase, by the way. I think it's hilarious. You know, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I always flip it around. I'm too stressed to be blessed, usually. But I'm too blessed to be stressed. You can be that kind of person. Did you know that? No matter what circumstances you are in, 
But if all we do is look around us, focus on the world, make our focus on the pursuit of the things of this world, things that can be taken, that can be changed in a moment, life looks pretty grim. It looks like we have no hope, but that is not the testimony of a Christian. A Christian has a calling and a testimony to be bold. And Peter is saying to those Christians, he says, listen, it is possible for you. He says, listen, you need to live right. You need to do good, pursue good. It's likely that less problems are going to come into your life. By the way, Peter kind of was the kind of guy who often brought problems upon himself, wasn't he? (laughs) By not pursuing good. He's speaking from experience here. But he's saying to us, you can pursue good. It's going to be better for you. But, he said, but even and when the In those times, we have those blessings. We have the promises of God. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you going to respond when persecution comes? How are you going to respond? Peter teaches us here that when it comes, when suffering comes, when difficulty comes our way, we can stand with boldness and realize that we're still blessed even in the difficulty.